assuming that I'm next. <laughs> I don't know if that was a good assumption or not. We'll see. I want to bring you greetings from Providence. Uh, this has been a good summer for us. We ended, uh, of course, last year, as many of you know, with a, a high enro higher enrollment than uh, we had the last couple of years, and we're excited about that. And it looks like uh, applications have come in at the rate that we might even grow a little bit more this year. So we're excited about the, uh, the opportunities God has given us at Providence. Uh, this summer we had about 600 uh, close to 600 uh, kids on campus for our, our sports camps in six different weeks and uh, that was an exciting thing. I've heard that uh, some good things have happened not just with the skill level of the, the athletes but also uh, uh, spiritual input and change in kids lives. So we're happy about that. I want to make two um, in invitations to you. Uh, about four weeks from today in the afternoon, I hope that it's going to be a nice day, but uh, we're going to have an installation of the new president. So uh, you're welcome to come to that. That's at 3.30 in the, uh, in the chapel at Providence. And then at the end of the month, uh, at the end of September, there are going to be uh, two Harvest Festival banquets. A number of you come to that, I know, but I would like to in invite you all to come. We would love to have you there and be a part of our Harvest Festival banquets. They're free banquets. All you need to do is call the school and, and let them know that you're, you're coming. Uh, that would be the last weekend in September the 27th and 28th in the evening. Uh, John Bonk, some of you remember John Bonk, uh, is going to be the main speaker that night. And we're also going to have a quartet that you're familiar with. Uh, four men from White Ridge here are going to be singing uh, and providing the music for us on that evening. So please come to our Harvest Festival banquets. We would love to, to have you there. I want to thank you for the invitation, and, and Terry is not here. Maybe we should Skype him. And, and I, could, uh, I could thank him for the invitation to come and preach. Uh, I understand that you have been uh, studying the Gospel of Mark for a long time, and for some reason uh, it turns out that you have a guest speaker uh, at the climactic sermon on this on this book. I don't know if he wanted to just get out of it, that's why he went to Bolivia or what, but this is the, uh, this is the climax to the, uh, the book of Mark. Uh, next week, of course, there is the section on the resurrection, but we come today to the crucifixion, which in the Gospel of Mark is actually the, the high point of the book. I'd like to begin by reading uh, the passage, which is Mark chapter 15 and verses 21 through 47. Mark 15 21 through the end of the chapter. Please follow along if you will. There's, I know there's pew Bibles in front of you. You might want to take a look at that. I'll be referring to a number of these passages in the sermon, so if you want to open there and keep the Bible open, I'd be happy to, uh, you'll, you'll be find it easier to follow what I'm, uh, what I'm saying. So, right at, right at the end of verse 20, uh, they have the, this, this little sentence, and they led him out to crucify him. And then the text begins in verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. 
They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. I'll leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. And the other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was, with, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray that you would take this word of yours now and that you would make an impact upon our lives. We pray that it would be that powerful word that penetrates to the very depths of our being. We pray that it would be that word that saves us. We pray that you would silence in us any voice but yours, that hearing we might also do your will. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This summer, I had the, uh, Barb and I had the great opportunity to, uh, to visit the, uh, the, the Winnipeg Art Gallery. And there, of course, we saw that, uh, that display of 100 masters, um, Canadian masters. How many of you went to see that? Anybody? A few. Okay, that was it's quite a nice, nice uh, display of, of paintings that are somewhere in Canada, and, uh, and they come from all over the world, but they're somewhere in Canada, and they've all been brought together in Winnipeg here. It's amazing how many people have tried to por portray the crucifixion. 
maybe you could close your eyes and you can I, when I close my eyes there's one picture of the crucifixion that that comes to my mind and I can't remember who painted it or anything like that but it, it shows this this it's a close-up and it shows the agony of Jesus on the cross and maybe you can think of that too you can think of different paintings or maybe statues um, of, of Jesus hanging on the cross what Mark has done at the end of his gospel here is he has created a, a painting, you might say. He has, he has this painting, and I want you to think about that. We're going to try to paint it. We're going to try to describe it. I'm not an art critic. Um, my parents aren't artists or anything like that. My father-in-law is an artist, and, and I've looked at his paintings and listened to some of the shows that he watches. And, and, uh, and, and what Mark has done is he's made this painting, and we want to look at it and see what it means. So we have a cross up here, and you can look at this cross, and you can picture it. And of course, at the center of this painting is the cross. And Jesus is hanging on that cross. Uh, what's the point of this cross? Well, as we read through the story, we find out what the point of this cross is. And the main point of the cross, is the sh in, in the Gospel of Mark anyway, is the shame that Jesus faced. The Romans uh, had a way of, of scaring people, of frightening people into obedience. And according to the, uh, the ancient authors, the cross was the way of scaring people. You didn't want to hang on a cross. People would, would be crucified and they would hang there for days, virtually naked. And, and, they, and the Romans always put the cross in places where people would walk back and forth, where they, had to, where they had to go. So they would see these people hanging on the cross for days at a time. And so, so part of the point of, this, 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 of Mark and this painting of the cross is of the shame that came to Jesus. And you can read about that all the way through here. First of all, um, it, it says they, they divided his clothes, showing that he was virtually naked at the time. They divided his clothes and cast lots to see what each would, would get. And then it talks about how long he was on the cross. He, he started at, not, at, at the third hour, which would have been nine in the morning. And that's when they would have crucified him. And then they have this, this charge uh, written on the cross, uh, the king of the Jews, making a mockery of him. Here he is, the king of the Jews. Look at him up there. Why doesn't he come down? And so the crowd gathers together around there and says, why doesn't he come down? If he's the king of the Jews, why doesn't he come down? And of course, there's the religious leaders as well. And they're talking to one another. And they say in, in verse 29, so, uh, or, or in verse, uh, in verse thir at the end of verse 31 and 32, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And even the two thieves on either side of him uh, mock him and, and, and scorn him for hanging on the cross. And then it gets dark. And for three hours, from, from, from noon until three in the afternoon, it's dark, kind of like today, I would imagine, like right now. And, 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 the, and, and it shows again this, this whole idea of the mockery. And then Jesus cries out. He feels the, the, the shame and the agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And then they think he's calling Elijah. So the man comes and, and wants to put, uh, put some, uh, a stimulant up to his nose and up to his lips. Uh, he calls it in, uh, in verse uh, 36, uh, wine vinegar, to wake him up. They don't want him to go to sleep. They want him to suffer. They want him to hear the jeering of the crowds. And so they put this wine vinegar up to his, up to his mouth to, uh, to wake him up so that he has to face it all. And so there he hangs. The king of the Jews, shamed by crucifixion. But at the same time, Mark is trying to give us another portrait uh, sort, sort of a, a portrait that goes right along with it. And so as he's hanging on the cross, you find that Jesus cries out with a loud voice. Now, people on a cross can't cry out with a loud voice because they're weak, they struggle. But Jesus cries out two times with a loud voice. First, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then um, he cries out in verse 37, and breathes his last. Jesus is in control of what's going on here. Strange thought. Here he is hanging on the cross, shamed, but he's in control. In fact, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, you've already read it, three times Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to be handed over to the Romans, and they're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'll rise from the dead. I'm going to be handed over to the Romans. Jesus knew all along. It was, it, and it's more than knew. It's almost as if he was marching to this point. He intended to go to the cross. He was in control. He predicted it. And not only that, when you read this story and you read it carefully and you know your Old Testament, you know that there are a number of places in this, in this story that, that are allusions to the Old Testament. When, he's, um, when they cast lots for his clothing, that's Psalm 22. There's other references to Psalm 69 and, and the, the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22 as well. It's almost as if this painting is looking back in history to all of these events of the past that point to Jesus and point to what's going to happen. So we have this, this strange picture of Jesus on the cross. He's there being shamed, utterly being shamed. As the king of the Jews, he's facing this, this, this terrible feeling of being rejected by everyone around him. But at the same time, he's in control. He knows what's going to happen, and he goes anyway to Jerusalem. So that's the center of the painting. That's the center of the picture, is Christ. And, and if we were in, in the Winnipeg Art Gallery, and, and Mark's painting was there, and, and we were to walk into the room, that's the first thing we would notice is this, this shamed person hanging on the cross, but somehow still dignified as if he's in control. And then when we get a little closer to the painting, we see some people. 
not, not nameless people, the people who are mocking him and, and the religious leaders and so forth. They're the nameless, faceless people who are sort of in the background and, and, and we get this picture of Jesus and, and, and the mocking and so forth. But there's three people or groups of people who are named here. And then one group of people that should be named that's not. The first person who's named is Simon. He's from Cyrene in North Africa, which is now Tunisia, um, and, and that, that's where he's from. He's probably a, a, a black African, um, stands out in the crowd. And he was on his way back to Jerusalem, and of course the, the, the march out to Golgotha was away from Jerusalem, and Simon was making his way back, and somebody grabs him and says, you carry the cross. In fact, it says in verse, uh, well, it says carry the cross in, uh, in verse 21. And they forced him to carry the cross. But the idea is that, that he would bear the cross. That's the word that's used there. It's the same word that's used in Mark chapter 8. When, when Jesus um, tells the people, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's the same verb. Take up his cross and follow me. And now you have Simon taking up the cross. And there's a picture of him here. I'm not sure how he would, Mark would have painted it exactly, but, but there he is. And he's one of the named people in this story. And he takes up the cross. In the same way that Jesus told his disciples that if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now, Simon, turns out, is the father of Rufus and Alexander. That's what the text says here. And so Rufus and Alexander, Alexander and Rufus, um, were, were people who were known to this, this group of people in the church. And In fact, there's an Alexander that shows up in the book of Romans, um, or Rufus, I'm sorry, that shows up in the book of Romans that uh, is probably the same person, because Mark was writing from Rome and, and he wants to identify who this Simon is. I think, if, if I'm, maybe I'll use my imagination here, maybe you can as well, but I think this, this reference to Simon was probably his conversion experience. When he first learned about Jesus, and now his sons are following Jesus as well, Simon comes and takes up the cross. And there's a picture of him. A, a part of the portrait, the part of the painting is of Simon. The next group of people who are named are the women in verse 40. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and, and Salome. And there were some other women as well. And it says that they were the women in Galilee who followed him, same word as was referenced in, in chapter 8 when it says, take up your cross and follow me, same word, the, these women were followers of Jesus in Galilee. And they're pictured in this painting as well, and you can put them somewhere in your mind in, in the painting. And they're watching, but they're watching from a distance. They're disciples, they're followers of Jesus, but they're a bit timid. They're stepping back. 
They're watching from, from a distance. They're not right there. There's something timid about these women. And, and next week when you look at chapter 16, you will, uh, you will see this. Um, these women show up again. And so they're in the painting as well, the timid, timid women, uh, followers of Jesus. And then finally, of course, there is Joseph of Arimathea. He too is a character in this story. He's a named character. And he's in this picture as well. And he's the one who goes to Pilate and, and, and dares. In fact, the text makes it very clear that, that he dared, or, or it says boldly. Um, the word is actually to dare. Um, he dared to go to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. Here was Joseph, who was a, a, a man of God, a prominent member of the council. So he was one of the ones whose friends and, and whose, whose, uh, whose associates were mocking Jesus earlier in the text. And, and here he is now, and he has disassociated themselves with him, with them, and has begun to associate himself with Jesus. And so he goes to Pilate. He dares boldly to go to Pilate and ask for the body. And of course, Pilate says he's dead already. That's not right. He's supposed to hang there for a few days on the cross as people mock him and watch him die. He's dead after six hours. Again, Jesus was in control of all of this. And Joseph takes the body then and, and buys some expensive um, linen and wraps the body of Jesus in the linen and lays, him in, lays the body in a tomb uh, close by, a, a, a rock that was hewn out of rock. And so Joseph is there as well in this, in this painting. Now, when you look at that painting, there's somebody that should be there that's not. And this is part of Mark's story as well. Who's not there? the disciples, the apostles. They're not there. They're, they're, they're conspicuous by their absence. They're not in the painting. They should be. They were followers of Jesus. But they're not there. I have a friend named Joel Williams who, who wrote uh, his dissertation on the Gospel of Mark. And his, his thesis in this dissertation was that it's the minor characters in the Gospel of Mark, who understand who Jesus is. And these apostles, they always get it wrong. You know, the people that, that, that seem to us to be the closest to Jesus, the, the, the people who are, are supposed to get it, don't get it in this Gospel. It's just one of the facts of, of the Gospel of Mark. So we have this painting then, and there is this painting of Jesus on the cross. And there are these people around him, these named people. There's Simon, there's these women, there's Joseph of Arimathea, and the disciples are absent. There's one more person, well, there's a couple more people, but one in particular who's in this story, but you can't see him. He's there, and when you look at the story, when you look at the painting, I'm not sure how, how Mark would do it in a painting, but I know how he does it in this text. He... Who's, who's there that you can't see? Notice verse 38. Verse 38. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
Who tore it? Who tore that curtain? Doesn't say. And how could it be torn from the top to the bottom? It would have been a relatively tall curtain. How could it be torn from the top to the bottom? The answer, of course, is God. You can't see him, but he's there. He's there. And he's the one who rips the curtain. He's the one who who rips this curtain, which in one sense allows people into God's presence. And in another sense, allows God out of that holy of holies, which was in some sense bound by, by, uh, by, by the curtains that are surrounded and by the walls that are surrounded. And now God is free. God is free to work in people's lives. Why? Well, almost all of the songs that we sang this morning tell us why. Because when Jesus died, when he breathed his last, that was it. The penalty was paid. The, the, the curtain was open. And God could come out and we could go into God's presence. And that's the significance of this cross. That's the significance of Jesus breathing his last. It's the, the word, interestingly, the word is torn in two. It's, it's, it's ripped. It's a, it's a Greek word that implies the idea of ripping something apart. And the other place that it's used, the only other place, in fact, that it's used in the Gospel of Mark is at Jesus' baptism. The other Gospel writers, Matthew and, and Luke, tell the story of Jesus' baptism, and they say the heavens were opened. But Mark uses this, this word. The heavens were ripped, ripped open. And the, and, and the, and the dove, the, the spirit, comes down and rests on Jesus like a dove. It's the same word. The heavens are ripped open, and now this curtain is ripped open. And people can actually enter into the very presence of God, and God is free to work and to come to earth in the person of the Spirit to draw people to himself. There's one more person in this picture. We've seen this picture. There's Jesus on the cross suffering the shame but still in control. There's Simon and there's the women and there's Joseph. And in some way there is God present in all of this. And there's one more person. He's a Roman. He's a soldier. He's in charge of a hundred people. He's called a centurion. And he's standing, it says, opposite to Jesus. And he's watching this whole thing take place, this crucifixion. And he says, and we don't, to no one in particular, but he says, surely this man, this person, was the Son of God. Watching how he died, watching all of the activities and everything that happens, this person, and you can almost see him right in the very front of the picture. Now that we're close enough to the picture, you can see this soldier. And you can tell it's a soldier by how he's dressed and so forth. And he says, this was truly the Son of God. He recognized, of all the people who were standing there, he makes this magnificent assertion. 
He is the first human being in the Gospel of Mark. The, the demons make this assertion earlier. But he's the first human being who says, this is the Son of God. It's how God, Mark starts his Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how Mark starts his Gospel. That's sort of the title to the book. And now we come down to the very end. And the centurion, this Roman, not a Jew, but this Roman centurion says, surely this person was the Son of God. So what do we do with this painting? We've walked into the art gallery. We saw it from a distance. We saw the agony and the, the, the shame of the cross. And then we've gotten closer. And we've looked at all the different people who are part of this. And I think what happens to people who watch, look at art like this, is they begin to identify with the characters. And which one do you identify with? With Simon? Maybe, you were just, maybe, maybe you're just passing by this morning in church. Maybe, maybe you just happen to be here. But you've been gripped by the cross. Will you take up the cross today? Or maybe you identify with the women. You know, you're a Christian. You've been a Christian maybe all your life. Maybe you grew up in the church. But, but you're standing back a little bit. And you're a little bit timid. Maybe you identify with Joseph. And sometime this week, someone is going to give you the opportunity to be bold and to speak for Jesus and to claim him as your own. Maybe, maybe it will happen this week. Which kind of person are you? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the cross. What a strange thing for us to be thankful for. This Roman instrument of torture. This shameful death. Our King and our Lord was put to death, was mocked, and faced this shame. And yet, as we look at this story, we are thankful for the cross because the cross opens for us the opportunity to know you. And if it wasn't for that cross, if it wasn't for the ransom that was paid on that cross, we wouldn't know you. We couldn't know you. And now we do. And so our prayer is that you would help us to see ourselves in this, these painting, this painting, this picture, and to choose to live for you, to take up our cross, and to follow you. Help us to deny ourselves and to take up the cross and to follow this week as we go forth from this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.